0: Dishonest and a terrible complainer. And yet, this man had looked past all of her shortcomings and had chosen her, and he treated her like a queen. Unfortunately, her character flaws slowly destroyed their relationship. The more her husband demonstrated his love and concern for her, the more she took it for granted. Eventually, she even grew tired of his devotion and she began to flirt with other men, only a little at first, though she knew it hurt him terribly. But eventually she became very blatant and unrepentant about her affairs. In spite of all this, her husband begged and pleaded for her to return to him and to be faithful to him, warning her that these affairs were ruining their relationship and would certainly destroy her life forever. By that time, her love for him had grown cold. His words no longer had any, any effect on her. So finally, with a heavy heart, he said enough and he let her go with all the marital restraints removed now she chased after many men many lovers she became involved in their dangerous and sordid lifestyles this soon took a toll on her she became terribly sick but her lovers didn't care They were sick themselves. She grew hard and callous. And the weight of all of her mistakes burdened her beyond hope. All was very, very dark. Everything her husband had predicted had come true. And she was prepared to slide away into bitter oblivion. Then at her lowest point of despair, an unexpected ray of sunlight pierced her gloom, a message from her husband. Though she had spurned him and humiliated him, though she had betrayed him and abandoned him, he reached out to her once more, with a promise of forgiveness. He reached out to her with a promise of hope and acceptance and love. He reached out to her with a, a promise of a tomorrow that would make her forget all of her horrible failures and all of her horrible yesterdays. Today, today we read and hear some of the words of that that faithful husband. We read his words to that unfaithful wife, and those words are repeated literally thousands and thousands of times every Christmas season. A promise. A promise of hope. No doubt you have received Christmas cards, or maybe sent them, with these words on them. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those words sound familiar? This popular verse repeated so many times on our Christmas greeting cards can seem almost new to us now. You see, it's only when we see this verse and the promise that this verse speaks of. It's only when we see it in its original context do we really understand its awesome significance. That unfaithful wife was Israel. And you and I. God is the faithful husband. Who in the middle of a a passage detailing judgment, if you read the passage, you read the context, the preceding and succeeding chapters, It's a passage of judgment that God is pronouncing on Israel. In the middle of that passage on judgment, God pauses to express His love to His bride one more time. And and offers a promise out of love, not obligation. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is, beloved God's promise to give us a gift. To give us a gift that would heal our broken relationship with Him. The day our Lord Jesus was born, this hopeful and long-forgotten promise was fulfilled. It almost takes my breath away to say that. I think we're all aware that sin, sin creates distance in our relationships, doesn't it? Why can't we get closer? Because it, there's sin that separates us. Have you noticed that the middle letter of the word sin is the letter I? It's sin really that brings distance and, and separates relationships But the greatest distance it creates is between God and us. We're simply separated. People typically want to romanticize God and say, well, I pray, I know God, and and it's a wonderful thought, sentiment. But the truth is that man is separated from Him by an impassable gulf. That you and I can't bridge that gulf by our own good works. We can't somehow get into His good graces, no matter how much we do on our own. Something or someone else had to bridge that gulf and bring our faithless hearts back to Him. And that something, that someone, was the Son. The presence of the Son with us. You see, there's power in presence. What do I mean by that? Let me tell you a a true story that clearly pictures this. Power in presence. A young wife and mother, who shall remain nameless, overwhelmed by her responsibilities simply one day walked out on her family she just laid down her apron and left when she called later that night her frantic husband demanded an explanation as you might well understand but she simply hung up she called every week to check on the children But she refused to let them know where she was. The husband pleaded with her to return home, but she wouldn't listen. And finally, he tracked her down to a dumpy hotel on the other side of the state. And when she answered the door, he poured out his love for her and begged her to come home. She fell into his arms and cried for forgiveness. Later, when her husband asked her why she hadn't returned before, she said, All those claims of love, they were just words before. But then you came. But then you came. But then you came. You see, what I'm suggesting to you, there is power in the loved one's presence. Then you came. Beloved, at the manger, God gave us the gift of His presence. Even though we didn't deserve it, God sent a child to be born to us and to seek us out. The true Christmas spirit is fueled in us when we celebrate the fulfillment of this great promise from God who loved us in spite of our own personal failures. I hope and pray that you would meditate on this passage this week. Rejoice in this gift that God has given, for that and that alone will fuel the true Christmas spirit in us. Let's unpack this verse, verse 6. It's rich for us. The first phrase we come to is, a child is what? A child is born. Now here's Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is in the midst of prophesying against Israel because of her unfaithfulness. And very soon he will tell the Israelites that the the Assyrian people, the Assyrian nation, the king of Assyria, the most fierce people on the face of the earth at that point in history. That they would be God's instrument of discipline and judgment upon them, and they would sweep down on them from the north and overwhelm her. And yet in the midst of this tragic prophecy, God interrupts it to speak tenderly about Israel's future, promising that he will never abandon her, despite her unfaithfulness. And as evidence of that promise, a child would be born to her. Look back at chapter 7, verse 14. You see a specific promise again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We know that Emmanuel translated means what? God with us. This is, this is not some allegorical lesson. This is not some uh, comforting thought that amounts to no more than uh, wishful thinking. No, this is a real promise. This is a real promise. God would someday deliver his wayward bride. Somebody say hallelujah to that. And that deliverance would involve a miraculous human birth at a definite time and a definite place in history. Promise. Has anyone ever made you... uh, Maybe a vague promise. Something upon which maybe you placed great hope only to later learn that that person hadn't really meant for you to take them so seriously. Have you ever heard these words? Oh, I, I didn't really mean for you to... I'm sorry. It just, and yet you, you kind of hung on that? Or maybe you've made a promise to somebody. Maybe you meant to keep it, but for some reason didn't. We understand promise... Making and promise keeping. And how many times we're let down when promises aren't kept. We all do it. We all do it. Parents to children. Parents continually make promises to their kids that they don't keep. Kids make promises to their parents they don't keep. Mommy, I promise. I promise. Friends make promises to friends. Husbands make promises to wives. Wives make promises to husbands. We promise to help. We promise to be there. We promise to show up. We promise to be involved. We promise. We promise. But for one reason or another, we fail. We fail. Now when we make promises... That we really, really do intend to keep. We get very specific, don't we, with dates, times, places. It's not some just vague, generalized promise. It's a specific promise. And that's what God did here with Israel. He made a specific promise. He got specific about the coming Messiah. This would not be just any child. It would be a child born of a virgin. Uh, I think it's safe to say that that's uh, that's a specific uh, promise, would you? (laughs) That's specific with an exclamation mark. A child born of a virgin. Not just any old child. But notice, this same child would not only be born to a virgin, this child would be born to us. This child will be born to Israel, but not only Israel. All who have become children of Abraham by faith also would benefit by this great gift. This child was a gift not simply to Israel, but to all of mankind. Then Isaiah gets even more specific. This child will be born of a virgin. He will be born to us. He will be a son A son is given. One day in eternity past, if I can use that phrase. If you think of eternity, eternity is like the ever-present now. There's no past, no future in eternity. Just, Just to help our minds get around, I'm going to use that language. One day in eternity past. The Father spoke to the Son about His plan for creation. And in response, the son disguised his glorious divine nature. He descended to earth under the cloak of humanity and became the promised child. A child was born. The son was given. Note this, please. Very important. Mary birthed Jesus. Say that with me. Mary birthed Jesus but not until after the Father had first given Him. He was the Son from all eternity. But on a given day, He became a child. This was simply to identify this special child with His eternal divine origins. He's God. Do you know that you can, you can actually consider that the tradition of gift giving, which we participate so fervently and eagerly at this time of the year, isn't that true? We run around and run around and we get a gift for this person, that person, and all of that can be traced ultimately to the Father. The whole idea of gift giving, the gift giving began with Him. In fact, the greatest gifts come from Him, don't they? He gave us a world to live in. A magnificent creation to live in. But not only that, He gave us life to enjoy it. Be fruitful, increase in number, rule over the animals. Be my stewards over all of this. I give it to you. Right from the very beginning, God is the gift giver. And then when through our own sin, we forfeited that life the Father gave again, a second time. He, he gave us His Son, and through Him, new life. Eternal life. Not merely as his creation, but as his now beloved children. Special. We're not just created beings. Now he's given us life that we might be his children. That life, however, came with a price tag. price tag you and I can't afford. We can't pay it. It's kind of like that expensive car or that house in the tree section of Manhattan Beach that we can't reach, just just out of our reach. Three million dollars, hundred thousand dollar automobile. Look at them, can't have them. And this this life that he gives us, just like that, it's out of our reach. You can't get it. We did not deserve this second chance. It had to be given. It had to be given. A son is given. And we're told the government will be on his shoulders. Now, we all look to our government leaders in the hopes, I mean, election after election after election, don't we look to our government leaders, the candidates, and all their promises? uh, We look to them to provide for us some measure of prosperity, as if they really can make us prosperous. It's all an illusion in that sense, I think. We look to them to provide peace and justice, some measure of compassionate, a compassionate government, guidance. But the governments of this world have rested on pretty weak and narrow shoulders over the years. Isn't that true? And none have really ever measured up to that goal, though we still hope. In fact, precious few have even sought such... A self sacrificial end. Most only seek their own power, their own self aggrandizement, their own memory. We tend to be hard on our leaders. We tend to be hard on them when they fail, but we must always remember that they have an inherent handicap they're imperfect. They're imperfect, sinful human beings, just as you and I are. We might as well ask a cow to fly south for the winter or a dog to live underwater like a fish, as to ask an imperfect person to govern perfectly. Imperfect people make imperfect laws, which they imperfectly enforce, and which are ultimately powerless to change imperfect hearts. In the days of the French Revolution, when the citizens of France sought to overthrow a a tyrannous monarchy, a fiery soldier named Napoleon Bonaparte, somebody who recognized the name, championed the cause of the revolution and the free man's republic in France. He became the French people's hero And he helped to draft new laws, just laws, to rebuild fractured France into, literally, a mighty power back then. And then he did something completely human. He crowned himself emperor for life. (laughs) He was doing so well. The very man who had offered his country such hope and such promise now brought great suffering through his own tyranny. He could conquer armies, but he could not conquer his own weaknesses. Imagine, if you would, a government. Imagine a government that would be perfect, righteous, fair, Effective and compassionate. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But who would be qualified to lead such a government? Who could bear such a burden? Only the child born to us. Only the son given to us. Because one day, The government of all nations and the government of all people will be given to Him forever, and He will govern perfectly, righteously, and eternally. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. We look forward to that day. That gift. And He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Oh my. Wonderful Counselor. You know, life is life is full of so many choices isn't it i mean we we have, we almost have overchoice in this country full of so many choices so many decisions that need to be made and often we seek people we seek counselors who can help us make the right decisions people say to me pastor can you help me make the right decision and i say no I can't help you make the right decision, but I'm going to try to help you make a wise decision. And we know the difference. But every counselor, every counselor is him or herself in need of a counselor. Why? Because try as we might, it is impossible for any of us imperfect human beings to have perfect perspective, just to get it right every time. None of us have all the answers all the time. Wouldn't it just be wonderful if we did? Isaiah's use in this passage of the Hebrew word pele, meaning wonder, indicates that everything about Jesus is a wonder. He is extraordinarily beyond all we could ever hope, think, or imagine. He's a wonder. He's such a wonder, so perfectly capable, that he has no need of counselors. He never has to ask advice. He never has to get back to us on something. He has all the answers to everything all the time. Isn't that wonderful? As a pastor, I'm called upon to give counsel now and again. It's part of what I do. It's part of the role that God has called me to. to. But even doing my very best, it's impossible for me to counsel perfectly. I hate to think that, but the truth is that's the truth. And why is that? Because I I lack a perfect mind, I lack a perfect heart. The perfect mind and heart are, are just blended in God's gift to us of a wonderful counselor. What a gift. Mighty God. Mighty God. In the Hebrew, El Gabor is translated, God the Mighty One. The word Gabor actually means, however, literally, hero. It could be translated, a heroic God, or a God of a hero. Or simply, a hero whose chief quality is that he is God. He's not just our God, He is our hero. Why is that? Because He not only has the power to rescue us, He has the desire to rescue us. I know you can if you are willing. Are you willing? What's His response? Yes, I'm willing. He's our hero. Notice, please, the contrast between the terms mighty God, child, and son. We think of God's Son as the meek and gentle child Jesus, the the baby Jesus lying in the manger. But remember, He was in disguise. He was God cloaked in humanity. He was God Incognito. That baby, that child, that son was the mighty God. From everlasting, the child born, the son given, was El Gibor, the mighty God. We talked about people who, who make promises but don't keep them. Some can't keep them simply because they don't have the ability, they don't have the power to make it happen. I don't think there's anything more disappointing than that. We hang on it, we wait, we wait. person, maybe all with all good intentions, they promise, they promise, but all the while, they just do not have the capability to make it happen, and it just never happens. What disappointment... And yet all the promises implied by these titles of the coming Christ child would be fulfilled. Why? Because he is El Gabor, the mighty God, who is powerful to do all that he said. Everlasting Father. In this phrase, everlasting father, Isaiah is not confusing Jesus the Son with God the Father. Instead, he's describing the nature of the Messiah's relationship with his people and his relationship with time. Everlasting. He's eternal. Father. This child to be born is eternal. And he is fatherly in his dealings with us. Father. Father. The very word is a catalyst for many. The very word father evokes strong emotions in most people. Either we love our fathers or we blast them. We blame them for our condition and we bless them for our condition. But whether we bless them or blast them, we all seem to be looking and longing for that perfect father relationship. but our fathers are temporary. Our fathers are imperfect, even the best of them. We yearn for one. We yearn for one who will look out for us. We yearn for one who will protect us. We yearn for one who will provide for us, hold us in his strong arms, and answer all of our dumb questions. A father. Whatever our minds and hearts can desire or imagine in a perfect father, Jesus will be for us forever, fatherly, forever, everlasting father. Prince of Peace. you know almost almost the moment we're born almost the moment we're born the conflicts begin would you agree we fight with our parents we fight with our siblings we fight with our friends we fight with our spouses we fight with our children our relatives our leaders peace peace is the eternally elusive pursuit of man would you agree peace between nations peace between neighbors peace between spouses peace between family members even peace in our own minds and hearts Many people have achieved great things, but no one can claim to have brought the world real peace. We want peace. How many want peace? How many want their own way at the same time? Is there a dilemma there? We desire peace, but we can't remove all the peace disturbing things in our life, can we? I can feel at peace towards you. But what happens if you don't feel at peace towards me? A true and lasting peace in our world is simply, again, like everything else, beyond our reach. Just beyond our reach. How appropriate, then, that as the names of Messiah are listed in this verse, the last one we hear echoing in our minds is Prince of Peace. Peace is more than just the absence of war. Peace is more than the absence of conflict or stress or turmoil. To achieve peace, true peace, we have to remove the ultimate cause of all these things. And what might that be? Sin. Have you tried to remove sin from your life? Sin destroys both our personal peace and the peace of this world. It's sin. It's sin. Sin was a ticking time bomb. In a very deliberate operation, Jesus absorbed the full blast of the sin explosion on that cross. And he forever bears the marks of that explosion in his body. His hands, his feet, and his side. Forever. Real lasting peace for nations for individuals, is not something we achieve. Beloved, it's something we receive. It's something we receive. And we receive it through the Son. You see, it's part of the gift of the Father. A Son, a Son given to us. One writer put it this way. He said Christmas is based on an exchange of gifts. We all understand that. But it's an exchange of gifts, the gift of God to man, His Son, and the gift of man to God, when we first give ourselves to Him. He gives Himself to us daily, moment by moment. And we give ourselves to Him, not just once at conversion, but a hundred times a day. True? The true Christian spirit and the true Christmas spirit reminds us again of His gift and of the proper response to that gift. He gives, we give back. But the question is, what can we give that would be appropriate for such a gift as His? Gratitude. Simply gratitude. It seems so small, though. It doesn't seem to be significant enough. But genuine gratitude. That's what he wants. There is nothing greater, beloved, that you and I can give to simply take time from our busy lives, from our busy schedules, And remember this tremendous gift that he's given to us. And to be overwhelmed all over again by his love. Our heartfelt and sincere gratitude mean more to him than anything that you and I could ever hope to give him. You think that God would want all the money in the world like you and I would? No, he already owns it all. It's all his anyway. What he wants is our our hearts. Our heartfelt gratitude for this gift. He will forever be the child born to us. He will forever be the son given to us, forever the perfect governor. He will forever be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. What a gift! What a gift. We've seen here in this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a promise a promise of love, a promise of forgiveness to a nation and to a people totally undeserving of it. It's a promise of forgiveness given in spite of, not because of, our actions. How can we, who have been shown such grace and such mercy and such love and such forgiveness, refuse it to others? You see, what Christmas brings us, really, or what it ought to bring us, is perspective. The needed perspective of God's heart towards us, which should remind us of what our heart should be towards others, even those who have hurt us. As I began this morning, all of us have people in our life who betrayed us, lied to us, hurt us. We would rather ignore them, forget them. In fact, we say that, we just forget them. Forget so-and-so. I want to encourage you this morning in the spirit of Christmas. Ask God to strengthen you and to enable you and to guide you in how to forgive and how to love and how to truly wish someone well whom you would just rather forget. You see, when you do this, the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of Christ has just entered your life. He's given us a great gift. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your gift to us. Thank you for this indescribable gift. This eternal gift. We can't even begin to fully comprehend your goodness to us, your grace, your provision. And Lord, we freely admit we are not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. Enable us this morning, bring to our minds those people in our life who we can reach out to. Strengthen us, because Lord, quite frankly, in our own humanness, in our own human weakness, we'll never do it. We need you, O God, to move us. Fill us with your Spirit. Empower us that we can phone somebody. Visit somebody just to say, I wanted to wish you a blessed, a Merry Christmas. Help us, oh God. Keep your heads bowed, if you would, for just a moment. You know, there's a question that everybody...